Hello and welcome to episode 270 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by Bryson. It's yet another episode. We don't have all three of us together, but it might be a good thing from the sounds of it after your opinions about Jacob's take last episode. Mark, it's good to be back. Um, out of the rare situations with this podcast where I have missed episodes, after going back and listening uh, to what was said, whatever the heck was came out of Jacob's mouth uh, about Bo Bichette at the beginning of the weekend, uh, and let me add, we are never discussing that ever again in terms of that topic on this uh, podcast one ever again, but in terms of what I heard, I am happy that was the one I missed, uh, just because of how I probably would have reacted live, I'm sure you, or I mean, looking at how you reacted to that, you kept your composure, <laughs> but the things we will be talking about is the fact that this team recovered from what happened in Philadelphia by sweeping the Atlanta Braves. And it's turned out over the last week now, Mark, is that it's either this team gets swept or they sweep. And there hasn't been any in between over the last couple of weeks, which is very bizarre. I don't remember ever having or seeing a stretch like this before, but uh, it's pretty much been the case the last couple of weeks. And of course, it was a really good weekend for the Blue Jays. Yeah, you go Boston to Pittsburgh to Philadelphia and now Atlanta, sweep, 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 just alternating. So I think, you know, we'll figure it out when we get to series predictions, but that may indicate how we're thinking about this series upcoming against the New York Yankees. But yeah, we're not going to talk any more about that uh, Jacob's take on Bo Bichette or Bo Bichette's defense at all, really, even though, I mean, there were a little blip. There was a little blip in today's game with his defense. But um, for the Blue Jays, it's worked out. They sweep the Atlanta Braves, one of the best teams in baseball and they come away with three wins um and you know game one and two really just solid wins we can talk about game three on sunday today in a little bit of a separate conversation just given how sloppy it was especially for atlanta in the outfield but also for the blue jays a little bit there but i mean game one i let's start there just chris bassett's complete game shutout a remarkable feat for any pitcher for the Blue Jays, the first time anyone has done it since 2015. Mark Burley against the Washington Nationals back then. That's a name we don't talk about a lot when we talk about Blue Jay pitching accomplishments or you know recent accomplishments for the Blue Jays. But um, Chris Bassett putting together, I would argue, probably one of the best starts of the last decade for the Blue Jays. We're just really something special against a team that is a really good team, right? This is no Pittsburgh Pirates. This is no Cincinnati Reds or Oakland Athletics that he's pitching against. He's pitching against the Atlanta Braves, one of the best teams and one of the best offenses in baseball. We're talking about Ronald Acuna Jr. We're talking about Matt Olson, Austin Riley. Like, we're not talking about, I don't know, I can't even name a player on the Athletics now. Like, we're not talking about that quality a hitter. We're talking about some of the best hitters in baseball, and he managed to mow them down one after another and to pitch, you know, a two-hit complete game shutout against a team like that. It's just a really, really special performance. And just goes to show, you know, how he's kind of blown away a lot of our expectations this season. Like, I'll be the first one to admit that when he was signed and up until, you know, last couple weeks, we've been talking about him as kind of this middle-of-the-rotation, innings-eating guy. And he's really surprised as it showed that, no, he's a lot more than that. Um, and he really, really proved it this weekend. And in my mind, like... This may be an overreaction, but we talk about Alec Manoa and Kevin Gosman being dueling 1A, 1B aces. I think now it might be Kevin Gosman and Chris Bassett, just the way he's pitched lately. Um, you know, maybe that's not a long-term thing. I certainly expect Manoa to bounce back, and I don't expect Bassett to go out there and throw nine shutty every single time. But with the way he's been pitching lately, 20 consecutive scoreless innings, the longest stretch of his career, it's hard how you can frame it otherwise. Um, he's... Pitching about as well as he ever has, and for the Blue Jays, it's really paying off. 
It is uh, really paying off, Mark. And it just, I mean, the fact that you mentioned Mark Burley, and first of all, of course, out of all people, that's the last Blue Jay who did this in terms of a complete game shutout. It's very fitting because of the way Mark Burley used to pitch, and it's something that we don't see anymore. Um, and it's just that's just the way the game's kind of evolved and changed. So it's crazy that it's been that long uh, since there was a complete game shutout like that. But, I mean, y- you talked about it. I mean, really when you think about what happened on Friday night, it's just from until it was either the 5th or the 6th, there was one inning where he was battling the strike zone a little bit. But other than that, I mean... One through nine or one two nine. I mean, he was completely in control uh, right from the start. I mean, he allowed two hits in nine innings, and that just says something in terms of how good his stuff was and how much he was striking guys out. And it's just, I mean, other than that one inning of trouble, he was efficient. And and of course, the more surprising part for me was that they actually went through and did that in terms of letting him go the distance. Like, for sure, after the seventh inning, I thought he was done, and that's just, again, the way the game is played now, the, the way the game's managed, and the way the Blue Jays have also managed it this year. Very rarely have you seen a pitcher go into the eighth inning other than that start from Chris Bassett. So that was the first, I guess, surprise from that. And then, of course, in the bottom of the eighth when the Blue Jays were batting, they showed Jordan Romano warming up, but kind of in a... Not in a way where he was hurrying and he was kind of going, uh, you know, wasn't going too fast. And then all of a sudden they cut back to Chris Bassett kind of pacing in the dugout. And it just, you knew based based on how people were talking to him, how he was reacting, was that he was going to get a shot to go back out there in the ninth inning. And that was even more surprising for me on that part. And the fact that he went out there and remained dominant, especially in that ninth inning. And of course the crowd was behind him. But you know, he knows that he was only a couple outs away, and I'm sure he was doing everything he could to make sure he was, pit, you know, finding the right pitches and everything like that. He was he was easily doing it. I mean, he was striking guys out in the ninth inning, and I thought as well. I mean, he was relying on a sinker for most of the part. I think it was over 50% of the time he relied on a sinker. Seven swings and misses from that pitch alone. He was just dominant, and he had his stuff uh, lined up against that. And I mean, you look at the difference in between, of course, that first start in Anaheim, or no, that first start in St. Louis was kind of just a write-off based off what we've seen. Other than that, it's just there's been lots of scenarios this year where he's remained in control. I mean, you go back to his last start, which came a week before last Friday in Pittsburgh. Once again, he looked dominant through his six innings of solid work, and there's just been there's been a lot of cases this year where. He has been that guy in terms of right under Kevin Gosman. He has been, you know, that second best pitcher in this rotation. Of course, Alec Manoa struggling wasn't exactly something that I think we expected. Um, and especially that it's kind of gone into this part of the, the season now is still a little bit of a concern, but hopefully he can figure that out. But of course, in that kind of way where Manoa's been dealing with what he's been dealing with, Chris Bassett has really stepped up. And I mean, he came in here to be the, th- the third pitcher. Right now, he's pitching like that second guy. And it's just the starts that we've seen him from this year, there's just been a lot of confidence. He's figured out the pitch comm, something that he wasn't exactly sold on in the spring. And there was kind of some issues that carried into the regular season with that. And the fact that he was able to just get that down right away, the velocity questions that people were talking about, everything, all those concerns in the spring really pretty much or were wiped out after that started in St. Louis. And he's really been that guy who's been eating innings. Of course, that's the guy who Chris Bassett is. He's a guy that really takes a lot of innings. And he's usually been a middle-of-the-rotation kind of guy for most of his career. But, of course, like you've been talking about, he's been pitching above expectations. I mean, if anyone could have predicted he was going to pitch a complete game shutout, let alone anybody in this rotation. I mean, you mentioned it. 2015 is the last time that happened. I don't think any of us had that on our bingo card, as we like to say on this podcast. So I think that was the part where it was definitely surprising but it was also refreshing to see him go out there and just dominate and I you know and if you look at how the rest of the weekend played out 
it was really important how they were able to preserve the bullpen, especially the first game of the series. Everyone talks about how important that is, that first game of the series. You don't want to burn your bullpen right away. And I think that was the other part that made it so important was that it was just it was how this it was how the series started. He came out with the bang, he struck out eight again, allowed two hits. That's very hard to do if you're pitching nine innings. It's just it was definitely a blast from the past in terms of how baseball used to be played. But the fact is, he made it very tough for John Schneider to make that decision to pull him because of how efficient and how effective his stuff was. He was in the zone, and it's just if he can be like that. Of course, we're not expecting what he did every single start like that throughout the way. But if he could just be that guy to eat up innings and be efficient with his command and just locate everything, the Blue Jays are in really good hands, especially if Alec Manoa can figure things out. That's a three-headed monster now at the top of your rotation. Yeah, you talk about the bullpen. I think like the shutout is probably a big reason why the Blue Jays were able to sweep this series. Because, I mean, like even in today's game, you can look at the domino effects. Like the, the Braves had to pull their starter in the second inning. He didn't even get out of the second and they had to rely on the bullpen for the rest of that game. And for the Blue Jays, even though they only got, what was it, 4.1, 4.2 from Kikuchi, somewhere around that, he got pulled in the fifth. Like, even though they didn't get a complete start from him, even though he didn't pitch into the sixth, they were still fine. Like, they went to some of their lower leverage guys. They went to the Nate Pearsons and the Jay Jacksons and the Anthony Basses, but they were a really, really rested bullpen. It wasn't a problem that they had to finish out the game, and it kept them in the game and allowed them to eventually walk it off and keep it close enough to walk it off with Danny Jansen in the bottom of the ninth, which, you know, is a whole other conversation we'll have. It's just kind of miraculous the way it worked out for the Blue Jays there. Um, especially, again, I'm going to repeat this all the time, but against one of the best teams in baseball, that's what makes this sweep so special. Like, I don't know. We, we really enjoyed that series in Pittsburgh and the sweep the Jays had there, but, like, Ultimately, it is the Pittsburgh Pirates. Like we, they, they were hot to start the season, et cetera, et cetera, but they're the Pittsburgh Pirates. No one thought it was going to continue. The Atlanta Braves are a really, really good team, and so that's what makes this even more impressive. But yeah, I think, um, I mean, obviously, Chris Bassett deserves all the credit in the world for just what he did standalone in that game, but he also deserves a lot of credit for what he was able to set the Blue Jays up for in the following games. And pitching performances like this are going to be really important moving forward as well. Like the Jays have, what, it's one off day over the next month, I think is the stat. Um, I know I've got my schedule next to me and you do too, so we'll be <laughs> checking the numbers on that one. But like they, they don't have room to burn through their bullpen at this point. 29th is their next off day. Okay. And then how many how many days do they go after that without an off day? June 12th. Okay. So yeah, one off day over the next month, basically. Um, so they can't burn through a bullpen um, like they've done at some points, like they did in, I mean, Seattle, they used it a little bit. The series after that, uh, Boston is the one that comes to mind, especially where they burn the bullpen. They can't afford to do that in this stretch. And so pitching performances like Chris Bassett had, saving the bullpen, at least getting through six innings is going to be really important. And he set the Blue Jays up well to be able to sweep that series. Um, yeah, I think like if I was picking before the season, who would have thrown a complete game shutout? It would not have been Chris Bassett. I think like first off, we were really, I, I think we're still in an area where like, it legitimately could be the last complete game shutout we see in Blue Jay history. Like, I don't know if that's a bold take, but baseball is just headed that way. And the fact that it's been seven plus years since the last complete game shutout, like it really surprised me that we saw it at all. Um, I know we've had a couple close calls before Kevin Gosman in Boston at Fenway Park. I think it was last year. 
He he pitched into the ninth, and then it kind of blew up for the Blue Jays from there. So that's kind of the most recent memory that comes to mind. But this was legitimately something that I thought may never happen again. And certainly Chris Bassett was not the guy who I thought was going to pitch it. And not at all. And that's, it's just, it's crazy when you think about it. And I mean, you talk about it, who knows when we're going to see that next complete game shutout. And it's just something that you rarely do see. I mean, if you're to ask me and probably in the starting rotation, who else would it be now that we've seen Chris Bassett do it? My only other guess would probably be a guy like uh, Kevin Gosman, like you were talking about. Like, I just see, it's just, it's those guys who are built for it. I mean, Alec is even when he has been, you know, dominant like he has been, it's just he's never really gone to the eighth and the ninth inning, and that's okay. I mean, it, that's the one thing that you have to make clear is that it's just it's not common to see in the sport anymore of how people do that. Some people are built for it, some people aren't, and again, that's okay. But Chris Bassett's always been a guy who can just dominate innings like that and take innings, and it's important. I mean, we talked about it all year in terms of how much uh, or the lack of innings pitched this team's had in previous years and how important that is for a team who's trying to win the World Series and everything along those lines. And Chris Bassett came in here for a purpose, and of course, one of those purposes was to eat more innings, and of course, the Jays are definitely on track, I think, this year to pretty much surpass what they were at last year. I think that's safe to say as of now uh, of course in may of course lots of season left but based on how everything's gone so far it's definitely something that you can rely on and be confident about but i mean it just again it's it's crucial for that bullpen you talked about it i mean they were able to save arms throughout the weekend and unlike atlanta as much as they did go with an opener today with colin McHugh, they probably did pull him a little bit earlier than they were expecting so i understand what you were saying with that and of course all game long they were relying on a ton of relievers and they had you know when relievers did come out they were coming out for multiple innings and you just see the difference of a game plan there and that's also why I don't like the opener you guys know that you and Jacob know that for for many years I've been saying that but it's just when something doesn't go right in that situation you're scrambling and I think especially the way trying to avoid the sweep if you're the Atlanta Braves it's something that it's not a very fun position to be in but of course that's the other thing here is as much as you know I I don't want to say people haven't been talking about it it's just for me personally I forgot about this as well throughout the weekend is that just recognizing the fact of how good of a team the Atlanta Braves are. And I just that just goes into, you know, how much better this makes it. Of course, if you just want to talk about the other performances from the starting rotation, I mean, if you talk about Jose Barrios, I know he had some command issues at times. He still, I thought, came out with a pretty good start. And, of course, Yusei Kikuchi today, you know, didn't have exactly his greatest stuff. But, of course... That goes on, to, or that goes back to the point that he's a fifth starter, and he's gonna have days where that happens. And if he's gonna have days like that, or like what happened today, I'm glad it happens against a good team like the Atlanta Braves. And I think there's a lot of issues today as well behind the strike zone, of course, with the umpire. I think that definitely didn't help him in his favors, but it just shows that as much as a guy like Kikuchi didn't have his best stuff or whatever it was today, it's still the Atlanta Braves, and he still did everything he could. And of course, Brios had a good start as well. And then, of course, just thinking all about that again and summarizing it, going back to what happened with Chris Bassett on Friday night, it's just it's crazy stuff. And I, I don't know if we see it again this season like you were talking about. Who knows when we see it again? It's just It shows you how tough it is to pitch against a good team like that and really to make them look like fools for nine innings allowing two hits. It's just, I mean, they have some really good hitters. We've talked about the Atlanta Braves, the young core, who are basically all signed long-term. They're going to be together for a long time. And, I mean, they've already been to a World Series and everything like that. They've won the World Series. So it's a team that's going to be around for a long time. It just it makes it, just makes it that much more impressive, like we've been talking about, of course, with Chris Bassett so far. Mm-hmm. And credit does go as well to Dalton Varsho, who kind of made this whole thing possible by hitting that home run in the bottom of the eighth because like John Schneider talked about the fact that 
it's tough to put your starter back out there for the ninth inning at whatever he was at, 93 pitches, when you're leading by two runs and like a bloop and a blast can end the game or at least tie the game and keep the Braves in there. So getting that extra insurance run from Dalton Varsho did play a big role in that as well. So credit goes to him and also just the entire game of kind of like small ball. I mean, they scored another run on a pass ball in the seventh inning and then in the fifth inning, it was a single and a challenge play and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So really good fundamentals from the Blue Jays in that game and also in Saturday's game. Not so much in Sunday's game, and that's kind of where things fell apart for both the Blue Jays and the Braves, a little bit more for the Braves, I think. But before we talk about Sunday's game, I do want to tell you a little bit about Jay Birdie Baseball Co. We talked about it in the last episode. They're a new sponsor for this podcast. Super exciting gear that they have to offer. They've got a ton of shirts, sweaters, crew necks, hoodies, whatever you want, they have it. Um, I'm wearing one of their shirts right now. I don't know if you can see it. It's the athletic gray shirt. I'm a big fan of it. I'm not a fashion guy, but there's like this little tag on the bottom of it. I don't know what it's called, (laughs) but I love it. And it's just got the logo on the bottom of the shirt. I'm a big fan. It's awesome. It's great quality. It's soft. I strongly recommend checking out their website. You can find all that info, all the gear they have. It's jbirdie.ca. The link is below this episode in the show notes as well. So go check them out. They are celebrating Canada's pastime. They're celebrating baseball in Canada, and so I highly recommend you check them out. It's jbirdie.ca. Again, the link is below this show. So, Sunday's game. A little bit sloppy, but it works out for the Blue Jays. What are your thoughts on what you saw? I mean, overall from the defense, I know like Matt Chapman had a couple errors. Yeah. had a little flub defensively. There was some not great moments. Space running wise, Bo Bichette on a bloop into right field tries to take second. He gets called out. Um, what do you make of kind of the sloppiness that we saw and then how it all worked out in the end with kind of a miraculous ninth inning? I mean, I think it's fair to say, I'm, for, first of all, from both sides, but definitely from the Blue Jays side, lucky. I think that's one part of it. You know, I think the fact that, of course, they were able to do what they did, though, in the ninth inning was impressive. I mean, you talk about those mistakes, those mistakes. I mean, Matt Chapman throwing two errors in a game. It just that's something where, you know, we've been talking about Chris Bassett. I don't think that hap- Who knows if that ever happens again yeah. throughout the rest of the year? I mean, that's just how rare it is in terms of how good Matt Chapman is defensively. Um, you talked about yes, Bobuchet not hustling from that pop fly, not from the start, and then he was tagged out. Another issue, of course, was Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the ninth, where he thought he hit that home run to tie the game, and then he was pretty much stranded at say- first. I think everyone else in the ballpark also thought it was gone. I I started oh, yeah. jumping up and down because like the way the right fielder played it, I don't know if he was trying to deke Flatty into running slow or whatever, but Acuna, the way yeah. the right, yeah the way Acuna played it, it looked like it was gone, and then all of a sudden Acuna turned around and played the ball. So I was I don't know if Acuna thought it was gone or if he was trying to deke Flatty or what was going on there, but I also thought it was gone off the bat. And on top of that. There may have been a play anyway at second, so who knows because of how hard that ball was hit. But I mean, yeah, you t- you talk about Ronald Acuna. I mean, even at, I mean Atlanta defensively today. I I don't know. I mean, it, was it three times they did that today with people running into each other? Yeah, I think so. There was it a was, Pilar, and Pilar and who yeah. who's in center field? Arcia? No, he's in infield. Uh, yeah. So. Let me see. Center field was Michael Harris. So Michael, Michael Harris, Harris was right. doing it. Michael yes. Harris was second. They ran into each other and. Yeah, Ozzy Albies was also somebody. So mm-hmm. like, but it was just, yeah, like just seeing it from both sides. I mean, they commit three errors. The Blue Jays commit two. I will say this too is that 
in games where we have seen this in the past, of course, there's been lots of times over the last few years, not as much as it was, I would say, maybe two, three years ago. But of course, there's been times in the past where we've talked about sloppy play from this team. And a lot of, and basically all the times that we've done it, it has pretty much been after a loss. Like, I, I can't remember the last time they've been that sloppy, the, the way they've been playing like that in the field, and they came out with the win. I think that, and that's something that John Schneider kind of alluded to after the game is when he came out and he kind of said it feels good to you know to win those games as much as basically you're making errors like you're doing like that and it doesn't come back to bite you in the you know what and I think that's just something where we rarely see those mistakes happen and the Blue Jays come out with the win and I mean that's baseball for you especially a team like the Atlanta Braves we talk about it all the time if you're giving these teams extra outs especially these playoff teams these World Series teams you're likely going to lose nine out, nine out of ten of the time but of course uh, to play the contrary, and the Atlanta Braves were doing the exact same thing, and then eventually it caught up to them. Of course, in the ninth inning, when the Jays finally rallied and got that, and it finally got the win. So, seeing like just seeing from Friday with Chris Bassett, seeing Saturday, I thought all around, even after Brios was uh, lifted, was a solid win, and then seeing what you saw today was just. Again, just really bizarre uh, from what we saw from both teams. But, of course, as much as the Jays had their mistakes, I think most of the mistakes that we can focus on were definitely from the Atlanta Braves in terms of just head-scratching plays of and just decisions of how guys are running into each other left, right, and center. I mean, especially for a team who is that good, it's just it's something that is definitely you're not used to seeing, and it's something probably one of the last things that you would expect. I mean, you talked about it. I, I think the last time we've seen a, an opposing team play as bad defensively as the Atlanta Braves did today, I, the last time I think would be probably that Chicago White Sox series about a month ago now. I think that would be the last time we've seen it that just in terms of how, I guess, un, unsync everybody looked in the outfield. And, of course, that's a team who's been struggling, and then you see what happened today with the Atlanta Braves. So that's something where... It feels like there's going to be some sort of conversations coming, and especially if you look at the rest of this homestand. I mean, you have a big four-game series with the Yankees. you got the Baltimore Orioles, who, are you, who you're chasing uh, in the standings in the AL East along the Tampa Bay Rays. These mistakes got to get cleaned up. I'm sure they will, but I'm sure there's going to come be a conversation that comes with that because just knowing how important this homestand is, of course, you started it off in a perfect way with the sweep, but... It's, if you keep doing that, it just it, it's gonna it's very rare that you're going to get away with wins like what happened today on the Sunday game. So I'm not overly concerned about it. I get it. It's going to happen every now and then. But I think just limiting the amount of times it does happen in a game is probably the more important part, especially, again, with the Yankees and the Orioles coming to town throughout this homestand. You need to try and be as you know, as in sync as you can be. And it's something that John Schneider's talked about so many times about being getting the little things right. I mean, and of course it helps you go a long way. There's been times again in the last couple of years where it's been pretty much burning this team in v- really big situations. So to see them come away with the win after doing all that was definitely one thing. And the other thing, of course, seeing the Atlanta Braves do it, it was just one of those days, not overly concerned long-term about it, but definitely something where the Jays could definitely have to clean a lot of this stuff up going forward. Yeah, you hope it's not an issue in New York or, I mean, against New York, still in Toronto or Baltimore or even after that. Like, the series that the Jays have coming up in the next month, which we talk about, like, I think this month could ultimately decide what happens with the Jays season because you've got games against the Astros. You have the Twins, as much as we like to knock the AL Central. They've been very good, Um, I mean, relatively, but they're atop the division there so like this next month is going to be key for the Blue Jays and so cleaning up those mistakes is also going to be key but it's also strange because like the Jays played 
so well on Saturday. They were very clean and it was a very complete win and maybe one of the most complete wins of the season. So it was strange that it came right after that really, really solid victory. That's that's the other thing. I mean, just how good that Saturday game went with Barrios, who pitched well. And then even after he was lifted, I mean, as much as Jimmy Garcia ran into some trouble, Eric Swanza comes out, bases loaded he, with one out. He gets out of it. Jordan Romano has a clean ninth, clean ninth inning. And then just other stuff that happened throughout that game. I mean, uh, Boba shed a couple singles. Vladdy had a sack fly. Of course, Danny Jansen had that big double uh, in the eighth inning. So it was just a clean game all around. And it's just something where... It, I, I don't know if we ever see it again in terms of both teams on that level having those mistakes on that Sunday game. And you talked about it. I mean, just this schedule coming up. And that's that's why this sweep against this team was also very important. And it also limits the damage of what happened in Philly last week in terms of what you were talking about. Just the difficulty of this schedule that's coming up for this team over the next month. It is insane that the amount of times that these guys have to play um, just these competitive teams. I mean, you've talked about it in terms of what this homestand uh, leads up to. You've been talking about it in terms of the Astros, Minnesota. Of course, they have to go back to Tampa. Um, and even just a team like the Mets as well who haven't gotten off to the greatest start, but these are all competitive teams that are coming up this month. And that's also why the issues in the field, we, as much as we don't expect it to transpire and continue, it's just now would not be the time for some sort of slump to happen is basically what we're saying here. So that's the one part about that. I know you guys talked about whatever Jacob talked, I'm not mentioning it in terms of exactly what he said ever again, but whatever what we were talking about, or you guys were talking about the last episode as well, of course, he needs to be better at shortstop with his throws, yes. Um, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> but I just think that everything needs to be cleaned up as much as it can be. And that's why just now is not the time for something to drag on. Uh, like we've, we've pretty much connected to the schedule here and everything like that going forward. So that's why it's important about the matchup with this team that they have. But of course, just seeing the difference between Saturday and Sunday, definitely bizarre. And hopefully it is the last time you see Matt Chapman with two errors in one game. I don't even remember if that was something that happened last year at all. But it's just one of those things where it's once in a season you likely see it um, in a perfect world. And not even in a perfect world, just in a regular world because of how good of a defender that he has been. So there was just some key moments, though, throughout the series where there was some clutch base running. There were some clutch hits. I will say Whit Merrifield, for me, caught my eye in terms of the amount of times he would get on base and just steal. I mean, And the fact that he was getting good jumps coming with it I think that's also really important and of course Kevin Kiermeyer's had a really good week Brandon Belt continues to play well and of course I think George Springer is getting over that um, viral infection he's been dealing with he's also had a good seven days as well his numbers are starting to go back up so this team has definitely been playing well um, and I think it's just it's not concern but it's just in the back of your mind that the little things can't hold this team back because of how good that they've been and how much deeper this lineup's getting because people are starting to figure it out in the middle of the order. So that's why I think that just shows how important it is for these guys to get the little things right. And I think there's confidence behind that as well. All right. I've been combing through the game logs. I think in Matt Chapman's career, he's had one, two, three, four, five, two air games. Um, and only one has come in the past three seasons, including this year, I think. Wow. Um, yeah, so before today, he had one two-air game 
over 2020, 2021, 2022, and 2023. So it, it's abnormal for him in five career games with two errors. Um, and he's never had one with three errors. So, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, we all know how good his defense is. And so what we saw today is not something that we should be expecting to be repeated. Um, on Saturday's game, I do want to talk a little bit about Eric Swanson because I mean, it tends that we focus on the hitting and the, the, the starting pitching, but we don't seem to heap a lot of praise um, on relievers when they deserve it, and it tends to be more just criticism when they make mistakes and blow leads and blow games for the Blue Jays. But Eric Swanson has really been a rock on this team. So we played this game a little bit with Tim Meza. I want to play the same game with you now, but instead of earned runs allowed, I want to ask you, over his last 14 games, 15 innings pitched, this dates back to April 11th, what do you think Eric Swanson's opponent's batting average has been? How specific do you want me to be? I Give it your best shot, and we'll see what you come up with. Um, I'll say 200. Way lower. Yeah, I, I figured that was going to be a little bit high. Yeah. I'll go... Go again. Go ahead. Okay, fine. Um... <laughs> One one fifty five. Way lower. Okay, I give up. You got me. <laughs> Opponents over his last fourteen games are batting 065 against Eric Swanson. Would never have guessed that. <laughs> That's like one hit in every twenty trips up to bat. That's insane. I, I yeah. mean it, it, how good he has been over his last 14 games. I mean, you can stretch these numbers out to the entire season. Like his first couple of games of the season, he wasn't terrible by any means. If you look at the numbers over the entire season, opponents are batting 108 off of him. So like, yeah, almost double compared to what it is over his last 14 games. But still, I mean, insanely, insanely good. So he's one of the guys I really want to shout out because he worked out of that jam for the Blue Jays in Saturday's game, helped them keep the win intact and help them. I mean, we talk about how important Chris Bassett was to this sweep. Eric Swanson was also very important to this sweep. And the fact that he's been that good over his last 14 games, that good this entire season. I mean, his ERA on the season was 1.33. Like, what he's doing is insane for the Blue Jays right now, and I really hope, like, when we praised Tim Meza the next game he pitched in, he gave up a run, so we kind of jinxed him there. I hope the same thing doesn't happen with Eric Swanson, but he's been nothing short of phenomenal this season. I think he's really worked himself into the number two spot in the bullpen. Like, if Jordan Romano is the highest leverage guy, I think Eric Swanson is number two right now, and I don't think there's really any debate about it. Like Jimmy Garcia has kind of pitched himself out of that situation. Tim Meza, whether rightly or wrongly, is still kind of a matchup guy. Eric Swanson is the guy that you put in there outside of Jordan Romano for high leverage situations. And it's really, really good to see him succeed so far this season. And I mean, his dominance over the last 14 games over the entire season is just truly remarkable. Other than Jordan Romano, because he is this team's closer, there's not one guy who we can fully trust other than Eric Swanson. And that just pretty much alludes to your point, like you've been talking about, and of course, uh, what you've been saying with Tim Meza. You know, I, I think it's it's disappointing with how Jimmy Garcia has performed. And I mean, it's just another case on Saturday where he gets himself into trouble, loads the bases, and of course, uh, Eric Swanson came out and luckily got out of it. I mean, with one out, he got a couple big outs. One of them was a big strikeout. So there you go in terms of a guy coming on, even when there's inherited runners and everything like that, finding ways to get out of jams like that. And, you know, I don't like, I think it's one thing too in terms of, there just, I don't think there was a lot of people familiar 
with the name of Eric Swanson when this whole trade did go down in the winter. It just felt like the early reaction from these, I guess, from that trade uh, with Seattle was just, it wasn't overly positive from everybody in terms of who was coming back, but it just shows you because of how value and how much the Jays are using him and how valuable he's been, why a move like this was created and uh, why it was done like this. If you th- think about it now, while we're here in May, if this was never done in the winter and Eric Swanson was never here, who would you be trusting out of this bullpen other than Jordan Romano? And that's a scary question to ask you right now because there's nobody, again, who you are full-on trusting late in a game right now. Of course, that can change with the emergence of Nate Pearson. Uh, and, of course, Trevor Richards have been pitching better. But still, do you really want to use those guys that late in a game? And I don't think that, you know, I don't think that's a question that people would want to feel comfortable answering, confirming yes because of that. So it just shows you how, you know, how much of Eric Swanson has saved this bullpen from time to time and how much he's been proven to be valuable and just getting key outs. I think that's really important because of that. And he's been doing that. I mean, he's pitching just as good, if not better, than what he did last year. He was your pick for lowest uh, reliever ERA, and he is cruising to that title right now. Of course, I know we're only in May, but just the stuff that he's been showing uh, right out of the gate, he looks dominant. He's fitting in really well with this team. He seems to have found that role, like you've been talking about, coming out in the eighth inning. Of course, the Jays have nobody else right now who they trust, but he he slotted into it right away. He jumped on the opportunity, of course, right at the start of the year, it was kind of a weird situation where he was coming out in different spots throughout the game. It just felt like the Jays didn't know exactly when they wanted to use him in particular. And it just a lack of, you know, I guess him being a new guy and him earning their trust, but it didn't take him long. It definitely did not. They have found a role for him. You know, you can make the argument as well early on. They weren't using him as much as they should have. Now that just kind of slowly, or not slowly changed, but it's definitely changed to the point where he is that first guy late in the game before Jordan Romano comes in where you trust to get out of it or keep a lead ahead, every, anything like that, you trust him to get out of a situation or just maintain control of the game or whatever it is he's coming out there to do. And I think that's very important uh, about that. I mean, it's just, you, you see the stuff he throws. It is nasty stuff. He's dominant, and it's just, it's a really important piece of this bullpen. And I don't know where this bullpen would be if it wasn't for Eric Swanson. Yeah, I don't know if it's kind of sacrilege to say, but like, I think I trust Eric Swanson more than Jordan Romano right now. I don't know if that's an opinion you share, but like, just looking at the numbers, I mean, I think it's a bit unfair to use ERA, especially with relievers this early in a season, but Romano's ERA is north of three and Swanson sitting at 133. And like, we went over all the numbers with Swanson. And I mean, I feel like if Romano can pitch this, this might sound obvious, but if Romano doesn't let anyone on base, I think he's lights out. But the moment he lets someone on base, it seems like there's something that switches in his mind and all of a sudden struggles happen. So was it against Philly that he blew? He gave up. Yeah, he gave up that run and sent it to the 10th inning and Bozair. Like the minute he let the first runner on, I went, okay, like this is over. Like either we're tying the game or the game's ending here. Like it's over once you give up one base runner with Romano or once he comes in with base runners or what. Like I don't know why that is, but. Right now, I trust Eric Swanson a whole lot more than I trust Joe Romano. I don't know if you agree. I'm not suggesting like their roles change because I think Romano's really comfortable where he is and he pitches well there. And you do need someone to both be that kind of formulaic, trusted guy in the ninth and then also someone who's just your your firefighter who puts out fires wherever they occur, whatever inning it is. And I think that is Eric Swanson. So like, I think you need both. I'm not suggesting anything changes. I'm just saying like the level of trust. I think Eric Swanson might be... a 
in front of Jordan Romano for me. Yeah, I see what you're saying 100%. And, I mean, again, it's all about roles and everything like that. But, yeah, I mean, you have to call it what it is. I mean, Eric Swanson's definitely been more of that guy who's you can trust more late in games like that. And pretty much all the reasons why we've been talking about um, because of that. And I think it's the exact same thing. I'm just going back to the last time I remember where it was two outs uh, in the top of the ninth inning. And, I, I mean, I go back to that Seattle game on April 30th. The same thing happened with Jordan Romano. Two outs. They're about to win on that Sunday game. J.P. Crawford ties the game. They go to extra innings. And, of course, we know what happened on the Sunday game where they should have definitely swept that team. But, I mean, it's just just going back to what you were saying in terms of how when somebody gets on base, it's just, I don't know, something does change everything like that. He has he kind of has those blips where it's just sometimes he just doesn't he doesn't have anywhere close to the stuff that he should have and then of course uh things change late in the game like that but of course we love Jordan Romano he's when he's effective though he is on and i think it just helps though because of what you're saying in terms of how i guess how Swanson's the guy you trust the most it definitely helps because of the fact that he's pitching ahead of Romano so that just shows, I mean, of course, keeping the lead and everything like that for Romano, that inc- that all increases if you have a guy like Eric, Sw- Eric Swanson pitch- pitching ahead of him. So, I mean, that I think that that's what makes it really dynamic. I don't want, I don't know if you want to call it a dynamic duo, but a kind of a dynamic 8 to ninth guy right away, an 8-9 punch. I think that's really important because of the fact that Swanson can do all those things and he's been that good. I mean, you've talked about, you know, opponents batting average, batting average of balls to play. Everything like that is just... They're basically it's all under 200 in terms of all those advanced numbers. I mean, he strikes out guys. He doesn't walk a lot of guys either. I think that's also really important to note is that his command is very efficient and effective. And I think he even yeah even his efficiency when he's pitching. I mean, the amount of pitches it's not a whole lot that he throws uh, in a clean inning like that. So just the little things that he does and just how calm he is. I think that's also kind of something where. Uh, you just you don't see that a lot from people in terms of when people get on base too and how kind of people can get a little rattled and that that kind of connects to Jordan Romano like you've been talking about when there is a runner on base like that. But I mean, it just shows you again how valuable Eric Swanson is, how good this bullpen is with him. And of course, if he wasn't there, there just there 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 would definitely be some more losses I think this year in terms of the win column and how late in games this team has been able to hold leads a lot more in the past than what we've seen and we that's definitely been a fact so far so I think it just shows the importance of both of those guys like you were saying but of course what you were saying Mark it's just even more important because Eric Swanson's ahead of Romano which helps him in terms of getting more safe situations and getting more opportunities to close out opponents yeah you mentioned the strikeout and walk numbers 25 strikeouts this season eight walks two homers so just really really good raw numbers and I guess like if you're finding something to nitpick about with Eric Swanson, it's probably the BABIP that he's allowed because it's at 132 and that seems to have a way of evening itself out. So maybe he's gotten lucky with the contact he's allowed, but then again, maybe the contact he's given up has been a lot of soft stuff and that is a credit to him for inducing that contact. So I don't know, maybe that's an area that we could look for to maybe kind of regress to the mean and maybe he's not going to be this good over a full season, but I mean, so far, there's not really anything you can pick on with Eric Swanson. He's been phenomenal for the Blue Jays. Um, Anything else that stood out to you from this series before we move to series predictions? I think we have everything covered. I mean, we talked about the, um, I guess, the standouts from this um, this weekend as well, the starting pitching, and just overall how it was just a really good way to recover from what we saw last week in Philly. So I feel like we have everything covered. I don't know about you. I think so. Yeah, I think that was it. I don't know if... I mean, you mentioned George Springer maybe turning things a little bit around with the homer he yeah. had today. Uh, 
that'd be nice. But he also grounded into a really tough double play. All that, today, yeah. That kind of killed the rally there for the Jays. So, I don't know. You take them as they come, but I, he just needs to get going. Like, I don't know. There, there's no insight we can offer besides the fact that he's been really sick from the sounds of it. And he needs to get better and hopefully things turn around. Kiermaier, of course, again, good weekend. Had some really good, some really good games. Brandon Belt, a very famous name on this podcast, <laughs> over the last week, he's he's still playing well as well. I, I think. We're, are you sold on him yet, or do you still want to see more? I think he's. Uh, I think looks I'm more comfortable still. Yeah, I think he's got yeah. enough of a track record to be confident in what he's what he doing. can bring. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I think he's fine. Like, I, he's not going to be a star on this team. He's going to be someone who's. A steady guy who can sub in off the bench at DH or first or wherever it is, get Vladdy off his feet. So I'm never going to be blown away by what he's doing, I don't think. But like, if he's a a league average replacement or even below league average, like I'm fine with that. <laughs> I guess that he hits from Varsha. <laughs> I'm just yeah, I'm just going <laughs> through all as, those as names boring as you first. could go with Brandon Bell. Like it's just kind yeah. of a boring player on the Jays. I don't know. Is, do you agree? Like. I I guess I mean he's he's a fun he's a fun player to make pictures though with this uh, this okay. podcast but yeah <laughs> well let's move on <laughs> so if no other standouts from this week we can go to series predictions uh, we don't have one from Jacob yet so uh, hopefully we can get a hold of him last minute and I'll send that message now but Bryson do you have a series prediction for this three game set against the Yankees. Sorry, four game set. Four. There you go. I know. I had to. I had to double check to make sure if I was looking at something wrong. I mean, he, yeah. It's this is difficult because we've been talking about it. It's either been the Jays get swept or they sweep. I said the same thing about what happened, or I think we all did. It pretty much what happened to Boston. There's no way we're either team is sweeping anybody because of how difficult a four game series can be. Um, but. I'm not going to do it in terms of predicting a sweep. I can't do it as much as that's been, I guess, just the recent result from that. Of course, Alec Manoa, who in pretty much one of his only really good starts of the season came against the Yankees. He goes again um, tomorrow in the, the series opener. And then, of course, you have Kevin Gosman, Chris Bassett, and then Jose Barrios uh, throughout the rest of the series. I don't think the Yankees have announced all their starters yet, but I'm going to say how the Jays have been playing and how the Yankees have been struggling. I'm going to go three out of four. Um, I was tempted to go split, but I just think that the momentum, hopefully there's momentum that they can carry over with that and they can get things done against the Yankees this week. And I will say the game they will lose will be probably, I think they will lose the, I'll say they lose the Thursday game again, or no, I'm sorry, the game where Garrett Cole pitches the Wednesday game. I think they win the other three. I want to be different than you, but every time you're about to predict what I predict, I got to start going first. Wow. Yeah, I, you do. You do. I, I mean, yeah, I think they can keep this momentum going. I think Alec Manoa pitches well against the Yankees, so I'll bank on that win. And Gosman has been mostly lights out. I'll bank on that win. And then, you, like, you're looking at Garrett Cole and nasty Nestor Cortez, and nasty Nestor hasn't been so nasty this season. So then you're left with, like, if you're going three or four, then. Garrett Cole is a game you lose, so I'll agree with you right away. Three to four, and they lose the Garrett Cole game. Um, Anything from Jacob or still not? No, I haven't. Should I try calling him live on the podcast? I'll try calling he's, him. He's too busy, probably. Just Let's like, see. You know. We're going to speak here. But while we wait for that, I can update you on the standings of where we sit. Go ahead. Um, yeah. As the phone is ringing in the background. Uh, we all got one point from this 
weekend because we all said they would go two and one and none of us were perfect because obviously they swept. So nothing changes. Yeah, you're at 24 points. I'm at 18 points. Jacob is at 17 points and he's yet to pick <sighs> oh up. God. I think it's going to go to voicemail soon. Um, yeah, he had a really, really rough road trip. Uh, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Boston. He had negative points from all those series. Um, oh and it goes to voicemail for Jacob. So we will be without a prediction on the podcast. We'll get one before the series starts, though, and we'll put it down on our record. So it won't be on air, but we'll get it anyways. Um, okay. We got four games against the Yankees. No matter what happens, that's going to be really, really exciting. And so we will leave it there. As always, you can support our podcast by going to the show notes, checking us out on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. You can check us out on Bias Coffee. You can join our Discord. You can do anything with our podcast from there. You can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. And that just helps spread the word about what we're doing here. And then the last thing I'll mention again is jbirdie.ca. They got some awesome gear celebrating Canadian baseball in the history of baseball in Canada. So I'd highly recommend you check them out for awesome gear. All right, four games against the Yankees. We'll be back Thursday night or Friday morning, and we will catch you then.